Welcome. How's everybody? Good. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice. We'll be glad in it. It's going to be a great day. All right. Turn to someone and say, it's time to wake up. You're like, you're like just lost in that moment of worship and intercession. Incredible. Before I get into the message, I do want to talk briefly about the prophetic assembly. Uh, if you're a part of our, our house and you say this is your church home, if you could make every effort to be there, we believe that God will uh, encounter you in a, in a special way. Uh, we brought, we're bringing three people in that are going to minister prophetically, and if you don't know what that is, you can come then and find out. We're a church that believes that Jesus still speaks today that the Holy Spirit still speaks today, always in the confines of, his, of the Word. And obviously that's why we want to teach people how to hear God's voice with the Hearing God seminar that's available, a little punch, or a little a pitch, I should say, for that coming up on uh, Tuesday night again. If you didn't get a chance, go ahead, we'll do that. You know, groups are one of the great things that happen at our house. If it helps you to find another place of connection, it's not the only place, it's another place. I heard a great story of some moms gathering in a living room this week and uh, talking about raising kids and, and everything around the, the, the person of Jesus and helping one another, encouraging one another. So great. Uh, you might have heard over the last number of weeks we talked about shalom, for example, and, and one of the issues that I kept seeding in there. And uh, is it a whole issue of pornography? And you're like, oh, Pastor, hard, hard right there. Yeah, it's all right. Uh, but, and that's another area that uh, is, and the reason why I mention that very often is because it's a major issue in our culture today. And if we don't talk about it, uh, we, we can't help anybody. Uh, and, and I know that in our house here that there are people who struggle with that. And there's no shame in that. But I also want you to know that there's hope for that. And so just be watching. There is a group called Conquer and everything like that. But know that there's hope and there's help uh, for, for you and wherever you're in that situation to, to get free. Uh, and be all that God's called you to be, to call, call, crawl out of the shadows of shame that, that maybe you're heaping on yourself and to come into the grace of Jesus and be free. It's good. Not the end of the story. All right, here we go. We're starting a new series called Big Church. Some of you are going to wonder, what does that mean? Are we going to try and have a new goal of be this size and that size? Well, you're going to have to wait and find out. That's what we're going to do this morning. But how many of, would, according to the word, you immediately get a picture in your mind? Now, if I said Disneyland, my wife would say, next holiday. And I would say, lots of money. First word that come to mind. Or if someone said, oh, this word, a year ago, if someone said, or maybe two years ago, if someone said wedding to me, I'd be like, sweet, when's the next one? Now, if someone says wedding to me, I'm like, Whoa. Yeah, lots of money again. It's a theme. <laughs> it's, yeah, we have one of those coming in our world, and it's going to be amazing. Now, how, what you have experienced with about something determines what you will come to your mind in it. I love cheese. It's kind of one of my food groups. You can eat all kinds of other things, but I like cheese. One, one time we were with a group of people. I was at a conference, and uh, we were in a kind of a hospitality room for, for our unit of churches. And there was food on the table. And one of them was a little round cheese. It was red. And I was like, man, I've never had that kind of cheese before. Red cheese. But my wife said, it's amazing. So I, like, I love my wife. I trust my wife. I love cheese. I put those two thoughts together, and I unwrapped the plastic off it and took a big bite of that red piece of cheese. I grew up in the cusp, okay? We, like, had, 
Like we churned and made butter. We, we didn't have no uh, uh, Dutch cheese, Edom cheese wrapped in a little... You know what it was? It was wax. I took a big bite of that, and I was like, this is the worst cheese I've ever had in my life. It tastes terrible. It kind of tastes like wax. My wife looks at me, and as she's often done over the last 26 years, just kind of shakes her head. Craig, that's not the kind of cheese. And so when, if someone had said cheese to me after that, I'd be like, waxy, tastes terrible. It's not good. No. But then I discovered and got a little upgrade in my culture and said, you've got to take the wax off. So I could, if, I, if that helps somebody, just pay, pay me later. It's all right. <laughs> the people, if you've been born in Courtney or wherever it's been. Now, when we come to this word church, immediately that puts all kinds of things in people's minds. Maybe in here it's different than, than, uh, than somebody who has never been to church before. Or maybe you've come to church and every one of your preconceived ideas was either blown away or confirmed already this morning. Because that word church can mean a whole lot of different things. If you ask someone on the church or on the street, it might mean the first word that comes to mind, boring. It could be irrelevant. It could mean homophobic. It could mean anti-women. It could mean all kinds of different things. It could mean my grandmother. It could mean amazing grace. It, for if, if you've experienced the reality of church, it could mean life-giving. It could mean exciting. It could mean, wow, the best thing ever. It could highlight of my week. It could mean optional if I have nothing else. Some of you I've seen in the last few weeks, so that's good. It's not just an option. So it can mean all kinds of things according to what your experience has been or what you have observed or worse, what you have heard that it might be about. Or it could mean up and down. You think it's just, you've been waiting for that moment to get up and down, up and down, up and down. It could mean all kinds of things. But how you understand that word will really affect what you believe about this incredible thing called the church. Because I love the church. I love this church, and that's good because I work here. That's a good thing. I love you as people. And here we are in the church, and in a first century church, you did not ever have to worry about being bored. You didn't have to worry about what the song selection was or when are they going to sing How Great Thou Art. It wasn't written yet, and they still had church. Some of you are like, you're treading on me, pastor. It didn't matter because it wasn't about a liturgy. It wasn't about what song selection it was and whether the carpet was the right color. It wasn't whether the order of the service was the way that we thought it might be. There were no pews. There was no uh, robes. There was none of that. Yet still, it was this amazing place because the church was simply a gathering of people gathered around one incredible truth, that Jesus died, well, first of all, came, that God came in the person of Jesus, died, buried, and rose again. That was it. That was how the church, and they gathered around that truth. That was enough. And it, it wasn't just a, a location. It was a gathering that became a movement. And in, I'm going to give you about that much History. So if, if that was your worst subject in school, it's all right. We're not going to spend a lot of time there. But the whole word church comes from this in the Greek, and it's not because I'm smart. It's just the word, way that the Greek was, or the New Testament was written in Greek. Ekklesia, depending on how you want to pronounce that, 
It became to mean an assembly or a gathering. And then that word was grabbed a hold by the Goths, which were a Germanic tribe in the eastern part of what is now Germany. And they came up with this word, and I won't pronounce it. It's not pronounced how it looks. Kirch. However, and actually that's incidentally the Scottish or Gaelic word is Kirk. Church. The Lord's house. The Lord's house. And so they... Instead of the original meaning of a gathering or an assembly, in English we grab the hold of that word because much of our language comes from the Germanic roots. And it went from kirched and it kind of got became, even though it's pronounced much differently, phonetically, we looked at it and came up with this word church, which became a ga- was not a gathering, it was a place, the Lord's house. So when you went, where, when you went, when you went to church, You went to a white building with a steeple on top. You went to a stone building with incredible frescoes in it. And the church became a place rather than a movement or a gathering. And what happened was because of some bad translation, some bad theology that literally came close to destroying the church. But it didn't. The church, instead of being this incredible place, got tamed, it got localized, it got controlled by the people who controlled the building. Because that's where you go to meet with God. That's where the man of God will help you to understand the revelations of God and will forgive you like God. So all of it was the building and the man who controlled the building determined the church. But God wasn't done with the church. Even though it had gotten off way off track, God wasn't done with the church. And in the 16th century, there was a man by the name of William Tyndale. This is his Insta story picture. I grabbed it. I don't know if you knew he had Instagram, but there he is. And this is in the 16th century. And he did this thing. He said, it's not right that the Bible is not being able to be read by the common people. Because it was in the language of the Church, the Latin language. So the people would not be able to read the word of God in their own language. And so what he did is he said he risked his life to translate it into the language of the common people in England and said, this is what he said, I will cause a boy that driveth the plow to more of the, know more of the scriptures than thou dost. He was said to the bishops. They wanted to control the place. They wanted to control the, the word. They wanted to control the power. And when he said, because what really irritated them is that he didn't translate the word church as the Lord's house. He translated it as the gathering. And they were like, whoa, you can't do that. You can't make this and give power to people. And so he translated with gathering, and, and they just said, it's all right. No, they didn't. He had to flee to another nation where he continued to labor on translating the New Testament and then smuggled it back into England. And slowly, 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 but one of his friends betrayed him. He was grabbed, taken back to England, hung, and then burned in the 16th century. But they were rattled, those in authority, by this thought That the church would be a gathering of people empowered by the word of God being able to do something that they didn't approve of maybe. 
but that the word of God certainly did approve of. Because he broke the control when he put the power in the people, not just in the pulpit. There is power in the people to do what God's called them to do. He shifted the power structure of the church to what God had always intended it to be. And he was right. In Matthew 16, Jesus was the originator of this concept when he said, he, he went to his disciples, these guys that followed him around that he was training, and he, he wanted to know, who do people say that I am? The man on the street, what are they saying about me, Jesus? He couldn't tra track his followers on social media to know how many were actually following. So he said, who? What are people saying? Some people said, you're a reincarnated John the Baptist. Uh, you've come back from the dead and you're him. Another prophet. Someone says, you're, you're, from a, you're like one of the other great prophets. Or we don't, but Jesus said, who do you say I am? He said, you're Jesus. You're the, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. You've come to save your people, save people from their sins. And he says, that's right. And then we'll go on to the next verse. You're the Messiah. He, and Jesus said this, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, or Peter, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And here's the part. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, my ecclesia, my gathering of people, my movement, and the gates of death, or the gates of hell, will not overcome it. And put in a message translation, it says this, the gates of hell are, are, it will be so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will keep it out. That doesn't sound like something tame. That doesn't seem like, sound like something localized. That doesn't sound like something neutered of power. It sounds like something that's so expansive. It's, it's like, to me, when I was preparing this, I'm like, this is like that incredible Hulk when he's like, first he's just like little Bruce Banner and then suddenly he's like, and I don't know if that's the best picture of the church, but you, you get what I'm saying. It's like, well, once it starts, it's not stopping. The church is the Hulk. Like that's, how many of you are tweeting that right now? Like, come on. <laughs> Jesus began to give them a hint that the church was not going to be what was expected. It was not going to be just a location. It was not going to be just all about the powerful and the rich. It was going to be about a people, a people that were on the move, a people that were being, being stretched beyond what they, they thought that they would be. But they didn't really fully get it. And he went, he, he died at, you know, Christmas, and, which really wasn't in December, but Jesus was born. And over three and a half years, then, then he came, went, did his ministry, and then it came a time where he was crucified on Good Friday, on, and on Resurrection Sunday, he rose again. And then he came, and he spent around just a couple of months with his disciples before he went back to be with, in heaven. And you're like, we'll pick this up in, in Acts. But before he, he left, he, he told his disciples, remember that thing about the church that I talked to you about? I want to talk to you about it one more time. And in, in Acts chapter 1, see, Acts is a book in the Bible and was written by a, a scientist or a doctor named Luke, and, and he wrote this, and it's the story of the very beginning of the church. It's a, of the best uh, vision or picture that we have of the church, not, not cluttered by all of our stuff, but it's, it's kind of the stripped-down version of the church, the one that actually works. And it's talking about the acts, and that's the things that happen of the apostles or the acts of the Holy Spirit. So, so when they uh, met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They didn't know about the church. They were like, whoa, what's in this for us? What's going to happen for us? Uh, are you going to make, like, kick out the Romans and do all that? And they, and they still haven't got it. 
And Jesus continues on. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Wow, power. This is going to be amazing. Power to get rid of the Romans. Power to do this or power to do that. No, no. And you will be my, what's the power for? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and this is the end to the ends of the earth. A witness, somebody who testifies to something, somebody who affirms something, somebody who saw something and is willing to speak up about it. Not to just Jerusalem, that city that they were in, but to the region, cross-culturally, and to the ends of the world. Witness. I don't know if you've ever been, it seems like every other intersection in Surrey, because we're such incredible drivers, you always see a sign looking for witnesses. Like, what, what kind of witnesses? Oh, another accident. I'm so surprised. You that were texting. Yes, you. That's another one you caused. Or whatever might happen. Crazy things happening. And they're looking for someone to witness so that they can testify to what they saw. And that's what the Holy Spirit came on the people, the people who were in this room and, and said, I'm going to come on you. I'm going to empower you. And simply, I want you to be witnesses. I want you to, I'm going to, Holy Spirit's going to empower you to change so that you can tell the story of how he changed you. Oh, but it's so complicated. And what about this? And what about, he's going to empower you to tell the story of how he's moved in your life. Because I know there's some incredible stories in this house where people would say, I was once an addict, but Jesus set me free. I once thought there was no hope for my life after that marital failure, but Jesus has done an incredible work in my life. There are people who would witness and tell a story of, I was once had no idea that God even existed, and now I'm discovering the reality of who he is, and my life will never be the same. So Jesus was just saying, uh, I'm going to empower you to be my witnesses. And Jesus said, you will testify and proclaim me. You're not going to talk about a lot of other things, and don't get mixed up in a whole bunch of other stuff. Strip it down. What is the church about? It's about Jesus. And it's about telling this reality and the story of what Jesus has done, of what Jesus is doing, the goodness of God and how God is moving and believing to change the lives and transform communities and marriages and families. Jesus. It can be a lot of other things, but we get mixed up. And then he says to them this thing, you are going to go to the ends of the earth. All right. Who? And if you read further in that chapter, you will see that there was people gathered in that room. There were 11 out of the 12 disciples of Jesus were in that room. Deniers, doubters, fishermen, people who had run away on him, now were there, but just two months earlier had walked away from him. It was filled with women and the brothers of Jesus, family and friends and women. Now, let me say something about that. It's interesting. I love it when the Bible just gets up in our face because in that culture, women were not looked upon as these incredible people. Women were not looked upon as valuable. They were only had any identity when they were attached to their father or their husband. But there they were, right in the beginning of the church, and mentioned by name, even Mary. Because God has a place for women in the church. Has always, will always, and the church will only be as strong as when men and women find their place that God called them to be. That's for free. And here they are, these people, misfits, don't fits, non-influential people, monoracial, one race, Jews, 
all in one geographical location. Most had never gone more than probably 20 to 30 miles from their home. There was no airline. There was nothing. And Jesus says to them, and by the way, this gospel is going to be so incredible. You're going to take it from here to that city, to that people group over there, and to the ends of the earth. And I can imagine them going, what are you talking about? But don't underestimate what a big God can do with a group of people. Because what you see today is not what you will always see. And some of us need to put that principle into our life. Don't underestimate what God could do with you when you allow a big God into your life. Let me just show you this one picture. This is not that great of a picture because he didn't know the moment. This is 1999, Jeff Bezos who you might know with this name called Amazon. Look at Amazon.com on the side. He like spray painted that on with probably some spray paint he stole from Walmart. Amazon.com, him sitting by himself at a desk, 1999, and had a dream in his heart that one day it would be something big. Today, $105.1 billion that he is personally worth. But that day, nobody knew. That day, nobody saw. That day, somebody took a picture of that. Oh, I wonder, this will be the day, remember that day, Jeff? No. And that's what one man can do by some good ideas. Wow. We can flip away from Jeff Bezos. We'll put it back on Jesus. <laughs> Think of it. And so when Jesus says, I want to do something in you, you misfits, you don't fits, you overlooked, you fishermen, you women, you one race, and I'm going to do something in you, that's going to train, change the world. You're going to go away oh, places you haven't even thought of right now. And so they are like, wow, that's amazing. And then they go back to Jerusalem, wait for two weeks. And on the day of Pentecost, there was this, which was a feast, when the city would have been full of Jews and people from all over the world. Almost like God knew what he was doing. People from all over the world were there. And the Holy Spirit comes on them. And I know some of you would like me to park there, but it's all right. We can move on because there's something we want to pull out of that. The Holy Spirit comes upon them and they speak in other languages and all those people from 14 different nations in the world hear them speaking in their own language and they say, what is this about? What is going on here? I don't understand this. And so Peter says, and he stands up and he preaches the, kind of the first sermon in the history of the church. And, and he says this, he said, people, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God and he did all kinds of miracles, wonders and signs, which you saw. And this man was handed over to you by God's plan and foreknowledge. And this man, with the help of wicked men, or you put him to death. You put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But, then he says this, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. It's impossible for death to hold him down. And in the same way, that same Jesus who couldn't be held by death, the thing that you're uh, fighting in your life is not greater than death. And even if it is, that cannot hold you down when you belong to Jesus. It cannot stop you. And, and Peter went on and he said, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are witnesses to this fact. Remember Jesus said, one day you're going to be witnesses. And Peter says, this is that day. You'll be witnesses to this fact. And he said, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has raised this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. In other words, it like hit them in the gut. And they were like, brothers, what will we do? What's, what's the next step? What do we do? And Peter replied, attend church regularly. Go to mass. That's what it's about. Or 
Don't forget about you need to be a young earth believer. Or you cannot be a climate skeptic. None of that. And sometimes we make the church about things that Jesus didn't make the church about. And we preach messages about that Jesus never preached about and emphasize things that Jesus never emphasized. When Jesus said, right here in the moment when the church was beginning, it doesn't mean those things aren't important. But the most important thing is what Peter says right here. He says, here's what it is, bottom line. I don't care about all that. I don't, don't repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And the Holy, and you will receive the gift of this Holy Spirit. He says, turn from where you've been going. Turn from what you've been doing. And, and you might have been going on this path. And repent just simply means I turn and I say, Jesus, lead me forward. And begin to take me into what my life was always intended to be. It's not about all that other stuff. And, and you can argue about this and fight over that. And, and I'm an NDP and I'm a liberal. And I'm, I don't care. And neither does Jesus. I'm serious. We fight battles over things that Jesus never fought a battle for. It's about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus at the center of the message of the church. And anytime it's anything else, then we have misread the gospel. Now, Jesus does speak to many issues, but let the very core message of who we are, no matter what a government want me to attest to, is the reality of Jesus Christ. It's the reality of a Savior. It's the reality of He who died and was buried and rose again. That's the center of the gospel. That's the center of the church of Jesus Christ. This message, he goes on to say, it's for you. And sometimes in church, that's right where it stops. Or maybe we go to the next thing. It's for your children. Yes, my children. And I'm thankful for, to God that my children are walking with God. But Jesus always had a bigger vision than we're comfortable with. Jesus always saw farther. He always saw people that were far from him. And he says, for you, for your children, and for those who are far off. That's the big part. Far off. Can I just say something to you? In that moment, even though they stood in, the, or in this room, or on the street in Jerusalem, a little town that... Hardly anybody knew existed. And they say this message. And here they were. It might have been far off to them. Never far off to God. From our perspective, far off. But from Jesus' perspective, no. He's, he said, they're only far off from you. They're not far off from me. No matter where someone's at, they're not far off from God. They're not far off from God. So the perspective is those who are far off. Because sometimes there's a bigger picture than we are. Those who are far off, far outside the cultural realm that you might be comfortable walking in. Because Jews didn't have anything to do with the people he said, go to the Samaritans. Yeah, who, I don't want anything to do with them. Do you know those guys? They don't, read, they don't worship right. They're, they're, they're mixed race. and They're not pure like this. Go. What about the Greeks? Yeah, those guys, no way. They, are not, they don't have this and they don't have that and they speak a language and they, they, they're not pure and they eat pork. And go. We can't make the gospel about what Jesus did not make the gospel about. Because there are people who are far off but have been on the heart of God since the creation of the world. The neighbors who you think are far from God are near to Jesus. The co-worker in the next cubicle, not far off. 
the son and the daughters, far off seemingly in the LGBTQ culture, not far off to God. It's for you. It's for the young person caught in a gang in our city that sees that's the only way to live life. It's for you, this message, that Jesus can still change your life. The nephew, the family member who's been hurt by the church and by Christians is still on the heart of God. It's for you. The old person who's in a nursing home and living out the days of their life and no, not knowing what, uh, what life holds for them beyond the grave. It's for them still. They're still there. They're still alive because God has something for their life. The adulterer, it's for you. The one popping pills to get through the day, it's for you. The one who doesn't know what tomorrow might bring, it's for you. The one who's stopped by the abuse that's been put on you, it's for you. The one who seems to see no hope after a marital failure. It's for you. The one who has to struggle to move on out of the pain of your life. It's for you. The gospel is big. The gospel is expansive. The gospel is inclusive. The gospel is far-reaching. The gospel is beyond where we're at. The gospel is touching places that we have not even dreamed about. You can retreat into a shell and say, oh, Jesus, come quickly. Or you can step out into the world and say, oh, Jesus, walk with me. Because we are not living, we, you say, oh, well, this is the darkest time that you have experienced. It's not the darkest time the world has ever experienced. Believe me, these people, 120 of them, and Jesus comes in and says, I'm going to use you to change the world. Do you think Jesus would change his method? He hasn't. He's still talking about the gathering of people who will come together and be transformed by him and be able to step into places and realms and government places and, and uh, media places and education places and just walk in with the presence of heaven and do something and be somebody that people will say, that is a person that I want to be like as they give witness to what the reality of God in their life. I love the church. I don't love some caricatures of the church that have been created. Far off to you and I, but not far off to Jesus. The incredible message of life-changing hope through Jesus and what did he say? He said, those who, who's this for? Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the church that day. Those who accepted his message were baptized. I talked to Pastor Kirk, and if you don't know him, um, if you don't know him, you walk into a room, you will know him. But maybe you're newer here. He's a lead pastor here over 25 years. We talked this just past week, and I think it was November the 3rd, Pastor Kirk, 1957, gave his life to Jesus. A rough, rough man. Brash. <laughs> the day the world changed, literally. And somebody with his leather jacket and attitude and 60 years ago, that God said, you're not far off. Not far off. And God came and transformed his life. I didn't ask, but I'm, he, he would do this to me, so it's all right. <laughs> God came into his life, transformed him, and became somebody who through his life hundreds and thousands of people, dozens of nations touched by the ministry of God through his life. Incredible. Those who accepted them. 3,000 people from 14 different language groups believed in one day. But pastor, I don't really like a big church. 3,000 people. What if one of those 3,000 was your son or your grandson? 
You wouldn't be crying then about, I don't know everybody. Maybe you shouldn't know everybody. Maybe you should know 10 or 12 people and pray for lots more people to come to know Jesus. Because here's the thing. Every, we say this, every number has a name. Every name has a story. And every story matters to God. So I don't see numbers, I see stories. And I see stories being rewritten. And I see stories being retold. And I see futures looking brighter. I see cities being transformed. I see nations being transformed. I see out of here being things that, that touch the nations of the world. Why not here? Why not now? It's the program of God, a gathering of people gathered around the life-changing message of Jesus, putting the main thing to be the main thing, and letting a lot of other things go by the wayside. Because just as Jesus predicted, it was a gathering, a movement that rallied around one big idea. Could be a lot of other things. But it starts right here. Jesus is the resurrected Christ, the son of the living God. You couldn't go to church because there was no church to go to. It went from the buildings to the people. The responsibility shifted from the priest to the people. The church wasn't for church people because there weren't any. The church wasn't about a location because there wasn't one. The church wasn't about a type of worship style or a liturgy or a ritual of smells and bells and incense and nonsense. There weren't any. The mission of the church was to do one thing, create followers of Jesus Christ. And from that band of followers huddled in an upper room, the misfits, the unknown, the people that nobody ever ever heard of, came an explosive movement of people telling people about the life-changing message of Jesus. A multiplying multi-generational, multi-ethnic movement of people. Not a place. Because you know what? This holy place that we sit in, tomorrow we'll have 14-year-olds sweating and stinking in here. Because it's a gym. Because the place is not holy. Jesus is holy. And when we lift him up, a place that's a cow barn in Africa, because I've been in those places, becomes a, a holy place because Jesus is there. And then when we walk out and a cow goes back in, it's a cow barn because it's not about a place. It's about a person, the person of Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus is a Savior, and then here's that key part, whose lives reflect his teaching. We'll talk more about that over the next few weeks. The earliest churches did not have buildings the first church building to be found in Europe was about in 231 A.D. So 230 years before there was even a building to be talked about. They didn't have public ceremonies. They didn't have the government advocating on their behalf. They didn't have favor in the city. Yet they grew strong. They had no access to mass media and any press they did was because someone was crucified in the public square or beaten. That was their mass media. Justin Martin was an er, an, a noted early Christian theologian as well as an incredible drummer here. Not, really, not the same guy. He wrote and he described the believers. This is how it changed the world, a gathering of people. We, re, we formerly rejoiced in the uncleanness of our life. But now, love only purity. Before, we used the magic arts, but now we dedicate ourselves to the true and only God. Before, we loved money and possessions more than anything, but now we share what we have to anyone who's in need. 
before we hated one another and killed one another and would not eat with anyone of another race. But now, since the manifestation of Christ, we pray for our enemies and we try to win over those who hate us without cause. That's the gathering of the people transformed by a message, a multiplying, multicultural, multi-generational move of people who believe that Jesus is the Savior and whose lives reflect his teachings. No one's too far. No one's too far. No one's too far. And from that day forward, there has always been a group who refused to let go of that ideal. Missionaries, Jesuits, church planters, evangelists, Bible translators, pastors, student pastors, Bible smugglers, and teachers, slaves that were carried all over the world, thinking, what? Carried the message of the gospel. I'm thankful that in the first century AD that some Roman soldier who had been conscripted into service shared the gospel in Britain. Because that's how they think that the gospel came to Britain. Be some, somebody who was like, what am I doing in this place? I want to be at home. I got conscripted and told I had to serve in the Roman army. Gets into Britain and says, I'm going to share the goodness of Jesus. I'm going to keep being a witness. Yeah, but I, I, I wanted a better opportunity. I should have been supported by my church. And I'm just here and I'm, I'm going to be a witness. Or businessmen that were, would go on the trade routes and carry the gospel all over the known world. Thomas, one of, if you read about him in the Bible, he doubted Jesus. He said, I don't believe it. I'm going to believe it when I see it. Thomas was the one who went the farthest. It says he followed the trade routes, and historically, there's evidence of him taking the gospel to southern India. And I know some of you would know about lots of churches, St. Thomas, St. Thomas, and, and all that in southern India. He went the farthest. I don't know if he was like, bro, I doubted the most. I'm going the farthest. i got to do something about this. got to change my rap sheet. I don't know what he was doing. Deniers, like the disciple of Peter, who was so transformed, he ended up giving his life for Jesus. And they say one of the most transforming ways of the gospel was when in little, it was actually a very uh, urban religion, where women would be washing clothes and doing all kinds of things together, and women would tell women about what Jesus had done in their lives, in their families, how God had affected their marriage, how God had done all that, and women to women to women to women. I'm not going to say anything beyond that other than the fact that God will use us in whatever place we're in. We just have to tell the story of what God's doing. And if you don't have a story, get a little closer to Jesus because he's going to do something in your life. And you know this, it's not a white man's gospel. Look around you, first of all. It's good news for everybody, for Filipino people. Come on, where are you? Come on. For Fijian people, for First Nations people, for African people, for South Asian people, for Chinese people, for Germanic people, for British people, for Russian people, for Arabic people, for Persian people, for Serbian people, for Palestinians, for Koreans, for Mexicans, for Colombians, for Peruvians, every tribe, every ethnic group, every person. It's for you. And get this. We say, oh, the church is shrinking. The church is still growing even in North America and Europe, where people are like, the last days, the church is on its death. Don't underestimate what God would do through the church. So we're still doing, barely moving forward, in, in, and a new day is arising in Europe and Western Europe and North America. But all over the world, do you know the number of Christians in Africa? We sometimes think of Africa as this little place. It's over a billion people on the continent of Africa. 
And 540 of them are followers of Jesus. 540 million of them are followers of Jesus Christ. And every day, every day, conservative estimates say 33,000 give their lives to Jesus in Africa. That's that's double-filling Rogers Arena every day. Oh, but the church is dying. I will build my church so expansive with energy, the gates of hell can't stop it. Because there's still people far off. Still people far from. Still people been written off. Still people that the world has said, no hope. Still people. And you know what? It's still moving on. And in places where you think it wouldn't be advancing, in places like Iran, where in 1979 there was a a revolution and, and the country was closed down. At that time, they estimate that there was around 500 Christians Today, oh, as of 2000, the year 2000, 200,000. As of as recently as last year, estimates up to 800,000 in a closed down, locked down place because the gospel is ever advancing. It's wide open. It's inclusive. It's, it's not about a whole lot of other things, about one message, one Savior, one Jesus making a way to the Father who says, repent, be baptized, let your life change, let God do something in your life. Let him change who you are. He's been doing it for history. He's been doing it in my life. He's been doing it in the life of someone beside you and th- places that you're not even aware of. And don't let the media, don't let your social media feed and the hatred that will go out to, to, to cause you a coward, but you stand up if you're a follower of Jesus and say, I belong to Jesus, and I'm just going to tell a story of what God's done in my life. You don't have to get into a fight about that and a fight about that. Just tell the story of what God's doing in your life. Yeah, but what about this? And what about that? Here's what Jesus has done for me. I remember a story in the Bible where a blind man, and they were saying, oh, now, uh, well, who caused this? Was it because your parents were blind? And who's this Jesus? And the blind man's like, I don't know who he is or what he is, but I know I was blind, and now I see. And that's what I can tell you, tell you a story. Yeah, but can we argue about the theological implications of that? I don't know. I was blind, but now I see. And what, but what about, what about the LGBTQ and their agenda? I don't know, but I was blind, and I, I, now I see. But what about this issue? I don't know, but I was blind. But what about, can we talk about this over here? But what, what, what do you think about climate change and all that? I don't know, but I was blind, but now I see. And God's working in my life. Can you? Come on. Come on. The message of the gospel is power. And the church is not a building. It's a gathering. A multiplying, multicultural, multi-generational movement of people who believe that Jesus is the Savior and whose lives reflect his teaching. People like you are almost done who give and serve and invite every week and then cheer like crazy when someone is baptized and say, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. People who realize that when you, whether you gather in a home or an office or a restaurant, you're the church. People who realize that when you serve the poor, perhaps your neighbor or through an adopted school, you are the church. When you pray for the sick and you lay hands on someone, you are the church. When you live out the values of Jesus and you feel like an outcast in your school or in your university or maybe even in your own home, you are the church. 
People who like a group of moms who gather in a living room and through tears share stories of how God is helping them to live out what it means to be a mom and to, to, to keep going on in the middle of it. You're the church. People like you who are willing to give up some time and serve and invest finances in our adoptive school in our night to shine. When we do things like that, we are the church. It's not why. That's why still today we must not make the church a building. We must not unnecessarily complicate it. We can have all kinds of conversations about all kinds of things. Not, I'm, I'm not trying to say some things are unimportant. And, and if you really feel passionate about something, all I'm saying is let's not make other conversations the central conversation. I don't know, but I know Jesus. And I can tell you a story of what he's done in my life. And when you've told that story, maybe argue about whether the Canucks will ever make the playoffs again. I'm not sure. I really am not sure. <laughs> That's why still today, the church that Jesus had in mind is a gathering. I invite you to stand. A movement that rallies around one idea. Jesus is the resurrected Christ, the son of the living God. Just look at me real quick, and I'm just going to, here's the focus point for a moment. It's why we're going to figure out how to create more gathering places in Metro Vancouver. I don't know how, but I just know that I can't get away from it. I keep trying to tell Jesus I don't have time. I don't have the resources. I can't get away from it. It's why we're right now, we're helping three church plants in Metro Vancouver and helping to relaunch your church in Victoria. It's why we encourage you to find your people and get in a group because you're the church. It's why we encourage you to find your purpose and get go to Grow Track and say, I want to be part of what God's doing in the world. I want to find, find my purpose. It's why we raise money to do all kinds of things, to give generously, to seed into the world. You know, with this night to shine, I will be totally honest with you that when the woman who championed it to me, when she first told me, I smiled and, and I hoped she would forget about it because I didn't want to do it. I was like, oh, I can't add another thing to my plate. I watched a video and Holy Spirit, as he does, to get my attention, I felt like, two by four across my head because Jesus sees people that I don't see he sees people that you don't see people who might be seemingly far off to me and now because of that we've had I think around 180 people maybe 20% of them are from our church that are coming to serve some of them are from other churches some of them are from other faiths some of them are I don't know why they're there. But they're there around this idea because the church that is about this message is absolutely beautiful to the world. They're like, that's the kind of church that I want. That kind of church. Because at the core of who Jesus says, there's no one too far. Some of you need to take somebody off the too far list right now. Erase the name. I want you to change them into the other column. Some of you have people on a too far list because you're so angry at them, you hope that that is the fact. Take them off the list. Put them on another list. 
for you, for your children, for those far off, for them, for the children. People are not even on our radar. It's the church. All kinds of ideas of church. But from now on, I hope you will think of this a multiplying, multicultural, multi-generational movement of people who believe that Jesus is the Savior and whose lives reflect His teachings. The church began as a movement and it is moving in the world. And by God's grace, we will be part of that movement. The church for our generation in Metro Vancouver. I'm thankful that in 1955 that Violet Kiley planted that church, this church. Thankful for that. But you know the best way to honor that? Is to dream again. Say, what would God do with what we've been given? What would God do with the resources? She started with, not this, rented a storefront. And through the faithful labor of people, generation, generation. And to whom much is given, much is required. And by God's grace, we're going to believe for more in northern Canada. We're going to believe for more in our cities. We're going to believe for more for touching the globe. To you, to your children, and to those far off. Can I ask you to close your eyes for a moment? Just, I just want to talk real briefly. If you feel like you're far off, I hope you heard today the reality of Jesus. You are not far off to Him. And if you say, Pastor, I want to know Jesus in that way, it's as simple as just surrendering your life and say, just like, just like Peter said, repent, be baptized. We can take care of the repent part now. We'll do baptism in a couple of weeks, uh, in a while. If you say, I, I need to surrender my life to Jesus, just raise your hand. Say, I, I, wanna, I want my life to, to reflect what God has. If that's you, if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, just say, every head bowed, every eye closed, give privacy. Just throw your hand up for a moment. I want to pray with you. On my left, your right. Yes. My left, your right, second section. Middle section. Come on, this is your day. My right, your left. Yes. So for those couple of people, and there might be some other hands that I didn't see, we're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. The whole congregation. Jesus, I thank you that you are the Savior. I ask you to forgive my sin. I surrender my life to you. And I join in the journey that you have for me. Take control of my life. Help me take the next step in you and do all that you have. You're my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. So, just a moment just happened there. Death to life. We can't ever rush past moments where God wants to do something in someone's life. Father, I thank you that you are doing something in our midst right now. Lord, I pray, oh God, that you would stir us, Lord, again to the reality of what you want to do in and through our lives, Lord. That the church is not some place. That the church is not about so many other things. But that the message of our life would be Jesus and Him crucified. 
Jesus and him risen from the grave. Jesus, the Lord of my life. We thank you for what you're doing in our family. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen.